Well, the week that my kids have been waiting for has arrived. Waiting for Christmas traditions is fun. Um, we're kind of spread out a little this year. They've seen how, you know, we have presents under our tree. We have stockings hanging by the fireplace, which is a different night. We're going to try to get up to my mom and dad's in New York for a couple days so they know they get to open something there. We're doing Skype Christmas with Anna's family at the end of the week so they know they get something there. And so last night, Reek announces, tomorrow, the week of presents is here, he says. <laughs> That'll be great. But all those traditions are kind of fun, you know, and growing up, I think one of, the, one of the favorite traditions for my family was Christmas Eve, after the Christmas Eve service, we would load into the car and we would go look at Christmas lights. And so Anna and I have tried to do that here, um, and we've really enjoyed it. We, we leave the Christmas Eve service here, we pile the kids in, we stop at Wawa, we load up on snacks, and we go look for Christmas lights. But um, our service is 6 o'clock, so that means, you know, we don't get to Wawa till what, 7.30. And then when we get home, we need to do dinner. And it's Christmas Eve. It's got to be good food. It can't be toddler food, you know, no mac and cheese and hot dogs. So we need a meal, and then we got to do stockings. And we just decided after several years of this, this just doesn't working. There's too much to fit in one night. We love traditions. We love good food. We love opening presents. And as a family, we're sitting around talking about this. Basically, by that, I mean me and Reed are scheming. And at this point, I'm not sure who is influencing who. And this year, 2018, marks the first year of a new tradition in the Hart household. I don't know if it will continue any year beyond this, but today is a new holiday called the Eve of Christmas Eve. Christmas lights are being moved to tonight, and we figured you can't have Christmas without presents, so, so the kids get one present, and st tomorrow night will just be the Christmas Eve service and stockings, and that way we get to spread Christmas out further, right? And uh, of course, you got to have good food at both, so tonight's not mac and cheese either. Uh, we're going to do uh, more meals, and it's just making Christmas longer and better and more presents, the week of presents, apparently. But it will be fun to go look at Christmas lights in the dark. We love that. We love driving around and just seeing the beautiful houses that are lit up and seeing the different colors. I love the ones that are set to music. We love looking at the lights. And it's fun to see and drive around. And you notice all of those lights, right? And as I told the children in our message this morning when I talked with them, Christ is often compared in Scripture to a light. And you have a contrast throughout Scripture of light and darkness. And, and the beautiful thing that the Christmas story reminds us of is the truth that Christ is truly a light for the nations. That, that the, everything we celebrate around this Christmas story is the celebration of light to those in darkness. For, for those of us who were walking apart from God, we were stuck in a spiritual darkness, and yet because of what we celebrate at Christmas, we recognize that light came into the dark, and that light is a person named Jesus. And so I want us to think about that a little bit this morning, and I want us to hear an announcement when Jesus comes into the temple as just a little baby and some of the people begin to see and hear this story and realize what is taking place and they, get to the, the, they, they hear from a man named Simeon the declaration and announcement that Christ is light and that he is salvation. 
And there's a great rejoicing in those truths, but there's also a very sad truth that Simeon explains as well. So I want you to look with your Bibles, look at your Bibles with me in Luke chapter 2, and I want to read some of these verses that George just read, and we're going to walk through the passage, and I want you to just see who Jesus is and what this light means. So chapter 2, verse 25, now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the Spirit, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. And we'll stop there before what he says. So just to get the context, what is going on in this passage? Why is uh, Jesus with his parents, Mary and Joseph, at the temple, and who is this man, Simeon? We don't know a lot about Simeon. This passage tells us that he's a righteous man. That's probably one of the most important things that you need to pick out is here he's, he's, route, he's righteous, he's d- uh, devout, he is someone who's living his life the way that God expects. Some people think that he might have been a priest, but there's no indication in the text that he was, so it's probably better even just to think of him as, as a common person, a lay person who's there in the temple, and he He's waiting for something because he has been promised something very significant. If you look in the text, it says that it's been revealed to him that by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So Simeon got this promise that no one else got that he would not die until he had seen Christ, until he had seen the Messiah, until he had seen the promised Savior that so many in Jerusalem were waiting for. So as you get this, you realize and put together more of the story, why was Simeon waiting for Christ? Why would it have been significant for Simeon to want to see Christ? And to understand that story, if you put together some of the pieces of the puzzle going back to the beginning of Scripture and you see and realize in Genesis that God creates the world. He puts Adam and Eve in the garden. It's a perfect paradise that doesn't last very long. By the time you get to the third chapter of the story, Adam and Eve have turned their backs on God. They have sinned. They have rebelled against God. And there's a promise that right away there's a promise that God will someday set things right again. You see the beginning of this war between good and evil, between God and Satan, and you see how mankind is now stuck in the middle of this war, and God promises that one day he will crush the serpent, he will crush evil. And as the story begins to unfold, you see humanity expand and you watch then in the middle of Genesis as God picks out Abraham and says he's going to make him the father of the nation Israel. And he's going to bless him and multiply his children greatly. And God says that he's going to form for himself a people, a nation. And he's going to give them a land and he's going to give them special promises. And out of this nation would come one who would be a blessing to all. And throughout scripture, some of those pieces of the story begin to be unfolded. And you see some of these promises and you see that God's had his hand on the nation of Israel. They were his chosen people. He was going to demonstrate his love to them. But as the story goes, you quickly see that Israel wasn't very good at being God's people. 
there was a way that, that a righteous and holy God could relate to a sinful people and that was through, the, uh, through what God instituted in the sacrifices and some of the things as you think about uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy and some of the laws and this was the way that God was going to relate to his people and they didn't want to follow God that way. In fact, they, they, they frequently rebelled and it wasn't very long before the, the kingdom split and they start going separate ways and there's all kinds of nations that are God's judgment on his people and eventually they end up in captivity. And they're conquered, uh, taken away by Babylon. Jerusalem is destroyed. A few, uh, few weeks ago we were going through the book of Haggai and you saw there after Persia had conquered Babylon and you saw them trying to rebuild but things were not exactly as glorious as they once were and all throughout they had gotten these promises that one day what had been started there in Jerusalem would become greater and more glorious than anything they had seen before. And, and, and this uh, kingdom that was started in, in a small way there with the people of Israel would one day be great. It would be a forever kingdom. That there would be a forever king who would rule and reign and it would ex far exceed anything that they had experienced. But for years and for centuries, they hadn't experienced anything close to that. In fact, by the time the Old Testament closes, they had been waiting for hundreds of years with no more messages from God. All along the way, just like when we went through the book of Haggai, God was sending prophets who would warn, who would instruct, who would say, get your lives right because you're not living the way you should, but they would also give promises of hope and encouragement. They would say, God is going to keep his word. Someday God is going to send a rescuer. Someday God is going to send a Messiah. That is why you have people like Simeon who are waiting for the Christ. And for hundreds of years, there had been no messages from God. And the people are waiting and they're in darkness, spiritual darkness. They have the promises of the Old Testament, but when is God going to keep his word? When is God going to fulfill his promises? Where is this promised light? Because they knew that God had promised a light. They knew that God had promised a Christ, a Messiah, a Savior. When was it going to happen? And here's a guy in Jerusalem, Simeon, we, we really don't know anything about him other than he was righteous. He was devout. He was waiting. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word consolation, it, it, it speaks of the comfort of Israel. It, it's the word paraclesis. So when you get, uh, John talks about the comforter, the Holy Spirit, who would be a paraclete or a comforter to people. And it was a common thread in the Old Testament to think of that Israel would one day be comforted by a Messiah, that there would be consolation, that there would be one who would come who would be the Christ and the Messiah. I wanted you to see a few of these verses in the book of Isaiah. So we'll start in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1. This is what God says. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. I'm going to flip over to Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 13. 
This is speaking of the day when these things would be accomplished. So here's Isaiah hundreds of years before Christ come, and he's speaking about what would happen in verse 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people. He will have compassion on his afflicted. Consistently throughout Scripture, there was this promise of comfort that would be given to the nation of Israel. And here is Simeon waiting in the temple for that comfort. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And not only was he a righteous man, the Spirit was upon him, which you find actually really interesting that he was waiting for comfort and the comforter was with him. John speaks of the Spirit as the comforter. For now, in Luke, he's going to speak of the comforter as he's going to associate that comfort with the Messiah. He's going to associate it with Christ. And here's Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel, and he had been given this special promise that before he died, he would get to see the Christ. What a promise, right? What a glorious truth that for hundreds of years they've been waiting and he knows it's going to happen in his lifetime. And now it says that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before the Lord's Christ. In verse 27, he came in the Spirit into the temple. It means God is behind this divine appointment, right? That, that, that the Spirit worked to lead Simeon to the temple on the day when Mary and Joseph came and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. So within the laws there were customs that when a child was born after a certain number of days they would be presented at the temple. There was ritual cleansing for the woman and these things took place on this day and God works to bring Simeon here, to bring Mary and Joseph here, and the Spirit is upon him, and he sees the child, and he takes him up in his hands, and the Spirit works to show him this is the promise you've been waiting for. This child is the Christ and the Messiah. And so look at verse 28. He took him up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Do you catch what Simeon says? He, he holds this baby and he says, salvation, I've seen it with my eyes. And Simeon realizes that salvation, he associates salvation with Jesus, with a person. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. And Simeon rejoices and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. He's saying, I'm ready to die. According to the word that God gave me, uh, I've now seen what God said. I wouldn't die until I saw. And now he knows he can depart in peace. We don't know that he's an old man. We kind of just infer that from what he says, but we actually aren't sure. And Simeon realizes this, this baby is salvation. And you know what else he recognizes? There's something very significant in what he says. He says in verse 32 that Jesus is a light frequently throughout Old Testament prophecies, they would have been waiting for a light. And Jesus, Simeon realizes that Jesus is a light 
to the Gentiles. He's revelation so that they can see, so that those who were in darkness would be able to see. So here is this light who's a revelation to the Gentiles and he's glory for Israel. The, The promises that were given to Israel, now they would see them fulfilled and this would be the glory of God's people Israel. I want you to see in the book of Isaiah again, if we go back to chapter 49 verse 6 and here is what what Isaiah says here. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Excuse me. Verse 6, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You, You realize what's being said here? Jesus, this Christ, this Messiah that everyone was waiting for, was not just going to be the Savior of Israel, the tribes of Jacob. That's, that's just too small of a matter. No, no, God is promising that this Christ, this Messiah, would be a light to the nations so that God's salvation would reach to the ends of the earth. And you fast forward a few hundred years and Simeon catches that. He realizes it. He's here in the temple and what he acknowledges is this baby that he's holding is a light, a revelation to the Gentiles that here this Jewish Messiah, the Israelites were waiting for a political savior, for someone who could overthrow the Romans, for someone that could return the kingdom there to Jerusalem and help Israel to be the the, the nation that it wanted to be again. And here, here's what Simeon realizes. This child is not just coming back to save Israel politically, no. This child is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. It was God's plan salvation for all of mankind, for all of humanity through all of human history. And God's plan was for this, for in a glorious way, this king of Israel would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And Simeon realizes it. And Mary and Joseph, they, 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 they just stand in amazement. I mean, they they knew they were waiting for a Messiah. As Israelites, as Jews, they would have been waiting for someone to come and be their Savior. And Simeon has just revealed to them, God has revealed to them through Simeon, that their child was not just here to save Israel, but to be a light for the nations. In verse 33, his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And then there's one more thing that Simeon says that we really need to catch in verse 34 and 35. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. So what you already heard in the first few verses, Simeon was just speaking a word from God. As a prophet, he had this message from God. And now Simeon has a message from God, but he's directly speaking to Mary, Jesus' mother. And he says this, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now at this point, as Luke is unfolding the story of Christ's birth, this is somewhat of a dramatic turning point. You see, this message that Simeon had for Mary and about the baby Jesus was not entirely positive and happy. It was not reason for joyous celebration. What he previously said in verses 29 through 32 made Mary and Joseph marvel at what was said about him. 
To whatever extent Mary and Joseph understood what he said in verses 34 and 35, it would have brought heartache, broken hearts, tears. This was the first indication that not everything was going to be glorious and easily smooth with the coming of the king. And this they would have not understood in their frame of thinking. They for years, for centuries, had been waiting for a Messiah, a Christ to come and set everything right again. They were waiting for someone who could come and bring freedom, who could bring flourishment to life. And they knew that the Messiah had come, the Christ had come. But what was going to happen to this Jewish Christ, this Jewish Messiah? We know the story, that the baby didn't just come in the manger and everything go smooth from there. Why did God send Christ to this earth? He was marching to his death on the cross. And Simeon is giving the first tastes of that to Mary and Joseph and saying, this baby, this Messiah, this one who is going to be the Savior, he's going to be the reason for the fall and the rise of many in Israel. There are many who are going to fall, stumble at the idea of a Christ, a Messiah, who had to be the suffering servant crucified on a cross. Some would see it. Some would rise. Some would recognize that's, that's the sacrifice for my sins and the Savior of the world. And, and they would realize that Christ, has, who is the chief cornerstone, to use scripture and language that we would have been familiar with both Old Testament and continues into the New Testament, that Christ was the cornerstone who, which was a stumbling stone for many, a stumbling stone of offense. And there would be many who would fall over that truth. And they would be opposed to him. And Simeon has this message for the mother. And he says, your own soul and heart will be pierced with this, Mary. What's he speaking about? Well, ultimately in view would be Christ's death on the cross and the pain that that would bring. But broader than that, for Mary as a mother, to watch her son, her baby, her treasure and to watch his ministry, and to watch the way that it divided people, and to watch the way that uh, people's reactions to him were so opposed and so violent that, that that a mob would angrily rise up and demand the murder of her son and the crucifixion of her son, and Mary's heart would break over the ministry that God had given to her son. And Simeon here gives just a taste of that. You see, because we realize, and what we celebrate that Jesus Christ came and we don't just remember and have these traditions of a beautiful baby in a manger and and at that moment everything became perfect in the world. What we realize and recognize is that this sinful, broken world that was in spiritual darkness all the way back from the garden in Genesis needed rescue, needed salvation, needed a way for things to be put right again. And that's why God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. You see, it wasn't just Adam and Eve that rebelled in the garden. You and I, in our sin, have turned our backs on God. We don't want God in charge of our life and we try to run our lives our own way and the Bible calls it sin and because of that we we now suffer uh, a condemnation that we are separated from God that's the punishment for our sin 
There's no amount of good deeds that we can do to get back right with God. And God knew that, and God had a plan to set things right. A Christ, a Messiah, the glory of Israel, the consolation, a light of revelation for you and I. That the only one who ever perfectly lived his life the way God wanted was Jesus. And being fully God and fully man came to this earth and died a death on the cross as a way of salvation to provide something that you and I couldn't provide. He laid his life down in the place of ours so that you and I, when we turn from our sins, Scripture says that we can place our trust in Christ, call on the name of the Lord for salvation. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. To realize that, that there's nothing we can do that makes us right with God. Christ did everything for us. And Christ not only died, but he rose again. God raised him to new life. And just like we celebrate his first coming, we wait for him to come again. And, and then we will experience the true joy of all wrongs being righted. We will see consolation and comfort in its truest sense. And Simeon gave Mary and Joseph the first taste of that. That Jesus came to this earth and we celebrate it and we remember it. Because he was, he was going to be the one for whom many were opposed in Israel. And he would lay down his life in place of ours. A man named Ligon Duncan in speaking on this passage said that Jesus was, is the dividing point in all of human history in all of humanity. And I would even say that Jesus is the dividing point in this room today. What is it that you believe about Jesus? Have your eyes been opened to the light in a spiritual sense? Because if if it's true that we are all stuck in our sins and rebelling against God, we are in darkness. We have no hope. There is nothing that, that we can do to have our relationship made right with God. And it's only when we come by faith and, and repent of our sins and turn away from our own efforts to cleanse ourselves and realize that we need the salvation of Christ and what he's accomplished for us on the cross. And only when we turn to him in faith can we have those sins forgiven. So I plead with you, what have you done with Jesus? Are you in darkness? Because scripture says that the light has come and that we can find salvation and eternal life only through Jesus Christ. And don't allow yourself to think that everything we celebrate here at Christmas is just these merry traditions and as if everything is good and as if everything is polished and perfect and sometimes it's easy for us to fall in the trap of thinking that that everything is good and everything is okay and to be a Christian, we've got to look as good as we can and... And yet, that's not what the Christmas story is all about. The Christmas story reveals to us that there is a tragic mess, that sin separates us from God. And the Christmas story shows us that God entered this world to fix that. A man named Sam Albury wrote this this week. He said, God didn't come to this world to congratulate the successful and high-five those who have their lives together. 
He came for those walking in darkness. They have seen a great light. Have you seen the light? Are you walking in darkness in rebellion against God or have you come to the light? The thing about light is this. My family tonight, we will wait and we, we won't go look at Christmas lights till it's dark. All right, we could take them out at three in the afternoon and we'll probably see strings on the trees and somebody who doesn't mind paying a high electric bill will have their lights on. Um, and we'll see, you'll see the light. But you won't experience everything that it was intended to show you. We'll wait till it's dark. And then we will see the light, right? When it's completely dark. And don't miss that contrast, right? Don't miss that clear division that out of darkness shines the light. And my kids and I will see that tonight and realize this, that yes, this world is in spiritual darkness, that's the effects of living in a world that has turned its back on God. And at times we're tempted to think that because it's dark, well, there can be no light. We say, there can't be a God. Have you seen how much darkness there is? Well, listen, we wouldn't even be able to see the light if it weren't for God exposing the darkness and lifting the eyelids of our dark. So if you're able to recognize the distinction between darkness and light, if you recognize that there is something broken and wrong, it's only because God in His grace has opened your eyes to see that distinction, that contrast. Listen, Christ is a light for the nations and He's a light for you. Have you come to Him plead with you to place your faith and trust in Christ. And if you're a believer here this morning, if, if you know these truths and you realize that you are a, a Christian and you're following Christ, realize that, that we have this great hope and truth that Christ came as a light. And, and rejoice in that. Rejoice in his salvation. Rejoice in God's goodness that at some point in past, God lifted the blindness off of your eyes and allowed you to see the light and worship him for it and then work to spread that light to as many others as we can. Oh, may that be true of us as a people. That we celebrate what we celebrate this Christmas is the light that has come and we want others to know about it. May that be true of us. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the way that you have worked in our lives. We're grateful for the light that has come. When this light came, it didn't automatically make everything perfect and better. We realize you have a perfect plan of how you will one day set everything right again, but the first thing you took care of was our sin that separated us from you. Father, we thank you for that light. We thank you for that glory. We thank you for that comfort. I pray if there's any here who haven't turned from their sin and trusted in Christ, I pray that they would see that light, that your spirit would do a work to show them that light. Work in our hearts, we ask and pray, Father, and we thank you for how you have worked through the person of Christ. Amen.